want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5 as we open the Word of God here this morning in our service. Our scripture reading was from Matthew, and this story is from actually recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, not John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but we'll be looking at Mark's account in Scripture, and I invite you to turn with me there to Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 34. It's page 1157 in the church Bible that is in front of you. Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 34. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My my daughter lies at home uh, at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. This is what my New Testament scholar professor, when I monitored in New Testament at the seminary, he called this the Markin sandwich. How many of you have heard of the Markin sandwich before? Yeah, it's, it's a literary technique that Mark used. It's called the story within a story. So here we have an interruption within a story. You have the bread, the story of Jarius you know, on two sides. And within this story, you have the story of the woman with the issue of blood, a Markin sandwich or a story within a story. Now, today, for the sake of time, we're going to be focusing on the inside part of this sandwich. In Adventist terminology, we're going to be focusing on the veggie patty inside of this sandwich. So this is a Markin sandwich. It's a story within a story. There's many lessons that we can bring out of this, many applications, but we're going to be focusing on the inner part of this story. So here it comes. Here comes the inside. So Jesus went with him, Jairus, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. The NASB actually says, and pressed about him. So Jesus is going from the Sea of Galilee to the house of Jairus. And on the way, there is a great multitude that is around Jesus because they've heard of all the miracles that Jesus has performed. Jesus is a very popular figure at this point of his ministry, and they are following Jesus, and they are pressing about Jesus. That's how many people there were. And here comes the inner part of the story, the interruption, verse 25. Now, a certain woman had a flow or an issue of blood for 12 years, and had suffered many things from many physicians. I don't know if they had experimental drugs in those days, but she had reached a condition that was terrible, and the physicians were unable to heal her. She had spent all that she had. She had no health care, or not good health care. She was bankrupt, and was no more the better, but rather grew worse. So here's a woman with a medical condition. She is broke. She's bankrupt. She's tried all of the medical procedures, all of the medical doctors that she could afford, and she is in a mode of desperation. Verse 27, when she heard about Jesus and came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. So this is the scene that the Bible portrays. Jesus is walking in a crowd to the healing of the daughter of Jairus. There's a crowd pressing about him. And here comes this woman with a medical condition. 
And the Bible says that she walked up behind Jesus. So this is the scene. Have you ever walked up behind someone and you don't want them to know that you're walking up on them? She wants to be inconspicuous. So she's walking up in the crowd, okay, just acting, you know, nonchalant, you know, and just going along in the crowd. She doesn't want to draw attention to herself. She doesn't want Jesus to see her. So she walks up behind him, and I don't know, this is my imagination, maybe she's just like, ah, you know, just doesn't want to be intentional, but she reaches out and touches the garment of Jesus. And according to Luke's account, it says that she touched the very fringe or the very hem of his coat his cloak, his outer garment. So this is the scene. The woman is in a crowd. There's people bustling all around her, pressing to Jesus. She walks up behind Jesus inconspicuously, and she's just like, just the fringe of his garment. Now the Bible tells us why she did this. Verse 28. Verse she said, If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made, what does it say? I shall be made well. This is the dialogue, and actually in the original language, it says she thought to herself. This is her inner dialogue that is taking place. And in verse 29, there's the favorite word of Mark. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. This, this is what takes place. She walks up behind Jesus. She touches him. And I don't know what it felt like, but she felt the power of God move through her, and in that moment, she felt rejuvenated. I can imagine she's walking up behind Jesus. She's anemic. She's pale. She's frail, and she's walking up to him, and she's just like, and then the color rushes back to her face. She can feel the life-giving power of God restore her back to health. And this is the emotions that's taking place. How would you feel if you had a condition for 12 years and all the doctors have tried all their medical procedures on you and you are broke and you walk up and you touch Jesus and you are healed in that instant? She's probably like, wow, praise the Lord. Now she's like, now it's time to get out of here, right? So she's like, okay, now it's time to go. And now this is what happens. Here is the tension in the story in verse 30. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that the power had gone out of him, Jesus sensed that there was a transmission, a transfer of power from him to another person. So Jesus knew this. He stops. That's the implication. He turns around. Now this is getting really bad because here comes the woman just wants to be inconspicuous. She's walking away and then he stops and turns around and says, who touched me? She's like, oh no, it's really time to leave now. All right, all right, it's, it's time to go. Who touched me? Who touched my clothes? And his disciples, almost cynical, are saying, but his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging or pressing around you, and you say, who touched me? Come on, Jesus. I mean, there's all these people, and you're saying, who touched my clothes? And then the Bible says, in verse 32, he looked around to see her who had done this thing. In the Greek tense, it's actually like he kept on looking. So this is the scene. Jesus stops. He turns around. He says, who touched me? And then he just keeps looking around. And by this time, the woman's like, oh, no. Oh, great. I, 
you know, I, I better come forward. I'm, I'm going to be totally exposed here. And then in verse 33, but the woman fearing, and what does the Bible say? And trembling. She is shaking, all right? She's shaking like a leaf. Fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. I like Luke's account. She said, she came before him and said all the things that happened to her, why she had touched him and the transformation that had taken place. She gave her testimony. By the way, if you've experienced Jesus Christ, he doesn't just want you to sneak away. He wants you to give your testimony. Maybe not publicly, but to somebody else. He wants you to share what Jesus has done for you. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. That be healed is in the perfect sense, just like last week, the perfect tense, meaning continue to be in health. It was God's sustaining power. The touch had healed her, and he said, continue to be in health. Today, I'd like to focus in on this one particular verse of this passage. An amazing story. It is a unique story in that the woman initially never had a conversation with Jesus. It's very unique. Walks up behind him and touches him, and she's healed. It's as though the, the power was there, that something just had to happen for the power to be transmitted and to be transferred. This is very unusual in terms of the miracles of Jesus. And up to this time, this is the only miracle in the gospel account that required a touch, or the only criteria or the condition was a touch. After this, there was a trend when you see through the gospels, other people started touching Jesus in faith and were being healed. But this was the first. And look at this in the NASB, in verse 38, for she thought, in the Greek language, it says that this was an internal dialogue that was taking place. If I touch his garments, I will get well. I will get well. Let's look at those four words. This passage is not translated intentionally, I might get well or I may get well, or I peradventure will get well, or I perchance will get well. This passage is in the indicative tense, which is the strongest tense. If I were to translate it, it would say, I will definitely, positively, absolutely, certainly, undeniably, I'm trying to think of another synonym, but I can't. Okay, so you get the picture. I will undoubtedly get well. This was the mindset of the woman. She believed with 100% faith and certainty and absolute, positively, undeniably, all the adverbs that you can put in. She, she believed this with all of her health. This was the measure of what we would call her expectation. All right? Now, if there was a, a you know, some sort of gauge, to gauge this woman's expectation when she walked up to Jesus, her expectations were off the charts, all right? There was no tentativeness in the mindset of her expectation. She thought in her mind, if I touch him, I will undeniably, positively, absolutely become well. That was the measure of her expectation. It was like huge. 
This disease that all the doctors had been unable to cure, just with this touch, I will be made 100% well. That was the mindset of this woman when she engaged and came in contact with Jesus. In this passage, there is a direct relationship between these two entities, God's power and the woman's expectation. The woman's expectation was this amount, and God's power was related to her in proportion to her expectation. These were in a relationship with one another, and so much so that I would say that it's as though she had unlocked some sort of principle or law of the universe. She had fulfilled the conditions and the power was released. Are you following me, yes or no? There's a relationship between God's power and the woman's expectation. Now, I want to contrast this with the crowd. When you look at the repetition in this passage, you will notice something that was placed intentionally there by the narrator, Mark in this case. In verse 24, it says, He went off with them, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. It is not even implied. It is directly stated there that the crowd was having physical contact with Jesus. They were having contact with his garment because they were pressing in on him. Verse 31, And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you, and you say, Who touched me? I would argue that In comparison to the woman, the crown probably had more physical contact with the garments of Jesus than the woman did. Yes or no? Probably someone in the crowd had more contact, you know, just brushing up on him and so forth. So there is this crowd element. They're having contact with Jesus, and Mark states this repeatedly. They're pressing in on Jesus. They're around Jesus. They're having physical contact with Jesus. Now, this was the difference. The crowd came in contact with Jesus, physical contact, expecting what? Nothing. And therefore, they received what? Nothing. Okay? The woman came in contact with Jesus, and I would dare say that she expected everything. Okay? From her standpoint of view. This this was everything. She expected a miracle. And therefore, received what? A miracle. Now, This is my proposition here this morning. I contend that God's power is released in direct proportion to my expectations. God's power is released in direct proportion to my expectations. Now, remember uh, direct proportions in mathematics? I didn't, so I had to look it up. Okay, so here is direct proportions. Two quantities are in direct proportion. As one increases, the other increases by the same percentage. All right? Now, this is the illustration, is that as your expectations go up, They are directly proportional to God's power. If you expect this much, you will receive this much. If you expect nothing, you will receive nothing. The woman went expecting this much. She received this much. All right? When we say that something is directly proportional, I was able to understand this chart because let's say that your expectations is A. Okay? Remember this, the XY axis, except this is AB. All right, so this is the expectations are A. This is God's power, all right? So if your expectations are three, what will God's power be according to this equation? It'll be three, all right? Now, if your expectations are zero, all right, what will be the power? Zero. So if your expectation is 10, this is 10. All right, so this is what happens. In our universe, there are physical laws. The law of gravity, 
the law of inertia, the law of thermodynamics. These are laws that are put in place by God, and it would do us well, even if we cannot break down Newton's law of gravity, we best respect and understand it, yes or no, okay? It does us well to understand these laws. Now, this is a quotation that I came across from Christian education. It says, there are great laws that govern the world of nature, and spiritual things, listen to this part, are controlled by principles equally certain. Now, I want you to recognize the gravity, all right, or the implications of this statement. Just as there is the law of gravity, the law of inertia, the law of thermodynamics, the implication that there is in the spiritual world laws just as set in motion as the law of inertia. You following me, yes or no? All right? There are spiritual laws and there are physical laws and they are just as binding. There are great laws that govern the world of nature and the spiritual things are controlled by principles equally certain. The means for, for and must be employed if desired results are to be attained. Now this is what I call the law of direct proportions or proportional power. All right? I contend this morning that God has packaged his power in a proportional context. I contend that the way that God's power is released is in direct proportion to our expectations. This is a spiritual law of the universe, just as certain as the law of gravity. I want to give you some other examples of this from Scripture. Matthew 9, 29. Look at this. And he touched their eyes, saying, what's the part that is highlighted? What? According to your faith, let it be done to you. There's a relationship. Another word that we can put in there is in, in proportion to your faith. All right? Jesus says in the healing of these blind individuals, he says, look, in accordance with the amount of your expectation, I will what? Release the power. There is a proportional law in the universe. He touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. Look at the story of the centurion in Matthew chapter 8, verse 13. Gen then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done. Look at the part here. Just as you have believed. A proportional law of the universe. It would. And his servant was healed in that very moment. Our Great, you know, our proportional expectations is met by God's power in the same measure. Now, here's a quotation from William Carey, and he says, Expect great things from God. Expect great things from God. I want to read a few other quotations. You need not go to the ends of the earth for wisdom, for God is near. It is not the capabilities that you now possess, praise God, or ever will have that will give you success. It is that which the Lord can do for you. We need to have far less confidence in what man can do and far more confidence in what God can do for every believing soul. He longs to have you reach after him by faith. Listen to this part. He longs to have you, what? Expect great things from him. Now, when I uncovered this message... I immediately noticed that in my own heart, the reason that I expect little 
is because I've been disappointed, all right? Or I've become jaded or desensitized. Oh, you know, why God, ask God for big things if he doesn't provide for big things? So you just ask for the minimum, you know, bless the food, you know, keep me safe, perhaps driving in the car. But we don't expect great things from God because of this element of disappointment. But you can see it over and over again. We do not ask enough of the good things God has promised. Listen to this. The Lord is not glorified by the tame supplications which show that nothing is expected. Wow. The Lord is not glorified by tame supplications which show that nothing is expected. You know, if I got an audience or an appointment with Warren Buffett, you know, and to to pitch a project to him, and he's like, all right, David, how much do you need? And I said, I I need a dollar. He'd probably say, you know, you know, do you know who I am? You know, like, look, don't, don't come to me and ask me for a dollar. Go to your dad and ask for a dollar, all right? This, this is the implication. You know, the reason that you can go to Warren Buffett and ask him for a billion dollars, not necessarily that he's going to give it to you, is because of who Warren Buffett is. So in this case, we can ask great things of God because of who God is. It pleases and honors God when we expect great things at his hand. He actually likes it when you ask big. He actually is very pleased when you go to him and you say, Lord, I don't want to ask you for this much. I want to ask you for this much. He's happy about that. Now, this is one of the challenges that we face. And this is probably what's going through your mind because it's going through mine. Okay, ask big. I need a car. I'm not going to ask for a Chevy. I'm going to ask for Lamborghini. All right? And this is kind of the challenge. And, and we're, you know, in the back of our minds, we're like, you know, why ask for the Lamborghini when, when the Lord's probably going to give you a Chevy? All right? Uh, so th- this is the challenge that we face when it comes to expectations. You know, where or in what areas do I ask big from God? And I've categorized it into three different areas. And this is really the practical application of this. All right, there are certain things that are definitely God's will, okay? Definitely 100% God's will. Forgiveness of sin, being saved, the Holy Spirit, you know, all of these principles, and we can go on and on about these things. Now, there are certain things that may be God's will. Now, it's not clearly placed or promised in Scripture But you can conjecture from a biblical standpoint that this could quite possibly be God's will. All right? Uh, Asking for a car, you know, it may be God's will, but you don't know 100%. That is that gray area. Now, there's an area that is definitely not God's will. All right? Uh, You don't ask God uh, for certain things that are not explicitly or that are explicitly denied in his word. And so these are the three areas. Now, the area that we can ask great things from God with 100% expectation and ask big are the areas that are clearly pronounced in his word. And here it is. I've quoted this quotation before, God's Amazing Grace 238. For pardon of sin, for the Holy Spirit, for a Christ-like temper, for wisdom and strength to do his will, for any gift he has promised, we may ask, and the promise is what? You shall receive. So when you go to ask for forgiveness of sin, ask big. How many of you want to be more Christ-like? You know, I do. 
Hey, ask, ask big. Ask God to make you the most Christ-like person in the world. You know, just make him, to make you more like Jesus. For wisdom and strength to do his work. Ask big. Did you know that there are over 3,500 promises in the Bible? They are just waiting there for you to unlock them and for the power to be unleashed. God's power is released in direct proportion to what we ask. Now, I thought about this as a pastor and on a corporate level. University Seventh-day Adventist Church. I know it's God's will for souls to be one to his kingdom. Amen? 100%. So why not ask God for hundreds, for thousands of souls? Why not? You know, why not ask God for the city of East Lansing to be turned upside down with the gospel? I know that's God's will for every bar to be closed in this town, not because of legislation, but because of transformation. Amen? Why not? You know, why not ask God for multiple services in this church? Amen? For expansion. Now, you know, multiple services. This church is bursting at the seams because I know that it's God's will for this church to grow. What about your marriage? Is it God's will for your marriage to succeed? Amen. Why not ask God to make you into the best husband you can be? The best wife you can be? Is it God's will for you to be a godly parent? Ask big. Ask him to make you the most loving father or mother that you can be. Is it God's will for you to have victory over that habit or sin in your life that you've been struggling with and you just can't beat? Ask him to give you the victory. Is it God's will for your sins to be given, forgiven? Is it God's will for you to be saved? Ask big. And go expecting and saying, Lord, I expect this much. Not because of who I am, but because of who you are. Stand with me as we prepare to close here this morning. With every head bowed and, and eyes closed, I just want to make a simple appeal here today. You've heard God speaking to your heart perhaps this past year, the past few months, and you hear him calling you to accept him as your Savior, and you have not yet done so, and you want to say, Lord Jesus, today, in the quietness in the inner sanctum of my own heart, I want to accept you as Savior. I want you to save me. Lord, please save me. We know it's God's will to save us, but you just want to put up your hand and say, Lord, just reach down. Please save me. If that's your desire here today and you want to say, Lord, save me, I want to accept you. I want you to raise your hand today. God bless you. God bless you. Lord, save me. God bless you. My second appeal is this. There is something in your life that you are struggling with. Perhaps no one knows about it, but you do, but it's a challenge. Whatever it may be, it is a challenge. It's an obstacle. It's a moment of uncertainty. You are struggling in your life, and you want to say, Lord, I need help. 
I want to come forward expecting that you will help me with this area of my life. And you need special prayer here today. I want to invite you to come forward. There's an area of my life, God bless you, there's an area of my life that I need help in. I am struggling in this area of my life. We serve a God that specializes in challenges, and you want to say, Lord, help me in this area. I need your assistance. I'm coming forward expecting that you will meet my needs because you're a God of the impossible. And you want to say, Lord, I want to come forward and lay this area before you. I want to lay it all on the altar. It's not my struggle anymore. It's your struggle. Please help me. And you want to say, Lord Jesus, give me victory in this area of my life. God bless you. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you today for your proportional power. We thank you that you meet our expectations when we ask in accordance with what you've promised in your word. And Father, we have come forward today to the foot of the cross asking for victory in this area of our lives. Lord, we've come forward recognizing our need and our insufficiency, but at the same time, your sufficiency. And I pray that you would bless this area of life in every person that's come forward here today. Lord, you know the struggle. You know the challenge. And Lord, we pray for your omnipotent power, all power from heaven to come and to grant us victory over this area of our life, this obstacle, this challenge, Lord. We are coming. Nothing in our hands we bring. Simply to your cross we cling. I pray that you would seal every person with your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the victory that you have promised. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.